Hi everyone and welcome to the Be You Mum podcast. I'm Annie, mum, wife, nutritional therapist, music lover and believer that animal print will never go out of fashion. I believe that we are at our most happiest and healthiest when all parts of ourselves are aligned and singing in harmony, the mind, body, heart and spirit. For me, like most, motherhood has been life-changing. It has opened up so many opportunities to learn more about myself and grow and become a better version of me and generally better human being. So this is what this podcast is all about. Conversations with awesome people who will inspire, inform and empower you to be more you at your brightest and best. Just like health and happiness, I believe there is no one-size-fits-all approach to motherhood. Learning to better understand, love and be yourself is one of the greatest gifts we can give our children. So I hope you will join me on this podcast journey of self-discovery, self-growth and self-love because when we connect with ourselves and step into our personal power, our mummy magic can truly shine. So please keep listening and remember, always be more you. And welcome back to the PU Mum podcast with me, Annie Breen. This is episode 20. Wow. And um, this week I'm joined by Chris Newbold. I have to say I was really excited about my conversation with Chris and probably went, gone on my hobby horse a few times and went off on a tangent. But this stuff just fuels my fire, as you will hear. So Chris is a nutritional therapist. He works for Biocare, which is one of the UK's leading food and supplement companies. He's also the head of nutrition strategy and organizes education and training, as well as driving Biocare's product innovation strategy. He lectures widely on nutrition and related topics, um, mostly to students and practitioners all over the UK and beyond. And this is um, the reason for getting Chris on, actually. I attended one of his lectures earlier this year all about human nature and there was so much within that lecture that just resonated with me blew my mind um, really it got me thinking um, and that's what we talk about today so it's very much about how we've evolved over the years to adapt to our environment we talk about stress and how um important it is to try and restore balance and become more flexible during times of change in terms of our health. We cover um, a little bit of the science and what's going on in our sort of biochemistry and physiology in terms of stress and then we bring it back to some really practical things that we can implement in terms of just reconnecting with nature, getting outside, honoring our circadian rhythm, nourishing ourselves with foods that are really compatible to our needs. It's such an interesting conversation. Um, I'm sure you will find it as thought-provoking as I did. So without further ado, let's get into episode 20. So hi Chris, thank you so much for joining me today. Hi Annie, no problem at all, great to be here. Amazing. I was really excited to talk to you. Um, not too long ago, I attended one of your seminars with Biocare and you were talking about human nature and just 
everything you said really resonated with me personally, but also in terms of my clients and the work that I do as a nutritional therapist. And I'll let you talk a little bit more about it, but really that's what I wanted to explore and chat with you today about how we've kind of evolved over time in terms of our human nature and how we've adapted to our environment. And I think we can probably agree that right now our environment is pretty crazy. Like it's uncertain and things are changing all the time. So I just think it's a great time to chat about that. Um, so if you would be, if you don't, uh, could introduce yourself and just tell us what you do and how you got to be doing this work. Yeah, sure. So I'm Chris Newbold and I'm a nutritionist, um, but also I've got quite a, I've been around a while and I've got quite a long history of being a therapist actually in the health service. Um, I used to do speech therapy uh, for quite a while in the health service. So I've always been really interested in what I call like the more creative part of kind of therapy. I think there's a really big uh, creative dimension to um, how we can sort of support and help people, help people, whether we're talking about their speech, whether we're talking about their nutrition, you know, their psychological well-being, etc. So that's always been the thing that's kind of driven me. And in a way, that's the kind of glue that glues together my sort of two careers. And also very much, um, also I'm, I'm a big ideas person as well. I love to kind of like think big and... Um, at the moment, I'm thinking a lot about trees because of the book I'm reading, for example. I'm sure we'll come on to that. And so I do like to kind of draw things together and kind of see how, how things link um, together in a more holistic way um, and, and train and educate people about that. So I'm passionate in kind of developing these concepts and kind of giving people different ways to think about things, different models, different analogies, drawing parallels with things that they might not have thought of which kind of helps them then help their own health or if you're a practitioner you know like we are helps us help other people um and and so that's really where where i'm at and, and kind of my philosophy and why i'm really involved in as a nutritional therapist um working for a company called biocare um in education, training, and recommending people on nutrition and lifestyle changes. Amazing, yeah, and I love the work that you do and that of your team. Like, I probably bug you way too much, but <laughs> I really love that because I think it just demonstrates how, like nature, health is one big, messy, beautiful picture. And the more that we can expand our minds and kind of step away from perfectionism and trying to always get it right and do and just be and allow and accept, like I absolutely um, love that. And I love the way that you bring all these things together. So just a bit of background. When we go to these seminars, we're talking about um, genetics, we're talking about nutrition, we're talking about food, we're talking about lifestyle, we're talking about the mind and, the, uh, and our emotions. It really is all encompassing um, because I believe that all those parts kind of need to be aligned and singing in harmony as much as possible, again, not perfection, for us to feel well. Um, so, I think you started this seminar with a quote. It's um, human nature is like water. It takes the shape of its container, which I absolutely love. I just wondered if you could um, speak to that a little bit. 
and yeah yeah I mean I think um like you said we're we're really interconnected with nature I mean the basic point is kind of obvious to me in a way it's almost like an obvious point that everything kind of grew out of the basic stuff of the universe including us you know the basic elements the basic forces and everything kind of grew out of its existing environment obviously it's like really obvious and then we've evolved into it which we'll come on to so we are shaped into our environment just like you know like i said i've become a bit obsessed with trees on my walks during this strange time that we're in and just looking at how trees adapt to their environment and shape themselves it's the same kind of thing so as a species we've kind of and we are basically an animal we're an animal who refuses to be what he is as is another quote that i used you know we like to strike out and be different but essentially we're an animal and we are quite rooted um, into our environment, quite, um, you know, deliciously kind of adapted to it in a way. Um, and um, it shapes exactly who we are. And we've developed a lot of um, kind of strategies and biological processes as an animal um, that allow us to really engage with our environment and satisfy our basic needs. Um, etc so yeah very much we're a product of the environment and we're kind of you know pushed and pulled by it um but we do have this basic toolkit that we've evolved i like to kind of see it as a toolkit a basic kind of toolkit a health toolkit a psychological toolkit that we've evolved that enables us to deal with kind of everything that the environment throws at us at least in theory um i would say because i think things have changed so dramatically in the last 20 to 30 years that I'm not sure that our biological toolkit um, and we have quite adapted fast enough to kind of accommodate the changes that we ourselves have created in our environment in this crazy modern world. Yeah. I agree. Do you think we've got quite good at reacting? Like I think we're quite sometimes stuck in this survival mode and we're quite good when it just comes to reacting and firefighting opposed to maybe um, controlling our environment rather than being controlled by our environment and taking back the power or not even controlling. I think it comes to connecting with and balancing. It's that yeah. dance between, I don't know if that make, makes sense, but I, I just see that we're quite good at reacting and we're always on the go and we get taken away by our, our environment. I, I certainly felt that way after becoming a mum um, that I just felt like everything around me has, had changed and I hadn't kept up with that and it was yeah. kind of controlling me. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's really interesting. Are you re reading The Hidden Life of Trees? Or the I am, yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Love it, yeah. It's um, so interesting, the parallels of, of how they are interconnected in there. I mean, it's probably worth mentioning right now because it connects beautifully to the point you've just made how interconnected the root systems are, and they are working as a community. Um, but this is the key point. We can't do this thing on our own, as well as being shaped by our, very strongly shaped, like you just said, Annie, shaped by our environment, you know, blown around like a leaf in the wind, basically, by it. And we are very wedded to each other, and we are designed to be pack animals. We are designed to be social animals just like the trees. The trees are connected via their root systems and they're helping each other out. They're exchanging nutrients, they're exchanging chemical signals. 
um, to let other trees know what's going on around them because they know that as a collective, they're going to survive that more hostile environment of the wind and the excess rain or the excess droughts. If they all work together, they're not going to survive. A lone tree on its own is going to be much, much less able to survive. They're designed to be a wood, you know, not a lone tree. Uh, but absolutely, coming back to your point, I think you're right. I think the environment for me, there's kind of, I'm going to kind of subtly change it, but for me, the environment kind of has primacy, like you say. It really does push and pull us around quite a lot. And we might not be as well adapted to it and sitting in sync with it and aligned with it and in balance with it as we think. But equally, I think we do have this kind of animal instinctive kind of basic toolkit to deal with a simpler kind of environment. Some of the hormones, you know, the cortisol response that I'm sure will come on to the adrenaline response, the stress response. We've got that basic response. And then in that modern context and that modern, very skewed, very strange environment that we're in, which is kind of very concentrated and full of kind of highlights and full of kind of different rhythms where we've got, you know, 24 hour supermarkets and 24 hour gyms and Netflix where you can watch a pro, you know, a whole program in sort of 13 hours in one sitting. We've got this very strange skewed environment at the moment that I don't think we're fully equipped for. And that creates, I think, an awful lot of sensory imbalance for us, neurosensory imbalance, a lot of stress. Um, and as you say, coming back to your basic point, which I totally agree with, where if only we could just balance ourselves in that environment, in the way that we were designed to sit in it properly, in the way that we were designed to be rooted in it, just like the trees rooted to be in the wood, with the right kinds of experiences that we expect, then I think we'd feel a lot better and be a lot healthier. 100%. And I remember something else that you said um, is that you've kind of described it that we've got so used to repetitive behaviors, like playing one end of the piano, I think you described it as, that we haven't really expanded ourselves emotionally, mentally, psychologically, physically to our full capacity. So yeah. we've just, we get up, we're creatures of habit you know almost becoming addicted to our own stress hormones if you like or that's just the way that we live and that's our routine and that's how we manage but we can't see the beauty of what we're really capable of and you know just a few thoughts with the situation that's happening at the moment I feel and these are just my thoughts and feelings is that mother nature is giving us permission to pause because I do think that the human condition is busyness and we've glorified being busy but also like you were saying about being creative it's forcing if you like or inspiring collective creativity we are having to tinker those ivories further down that piano mm -hmm. and that feels uncomfortable because we don't like change <laughs> But you know what? So much beauty can be birthed from that. Yeah, completely. So, yeah, it's um, it's funny because in a way, like you say, I do use this analogy about our kind of toolkit or I'm going to switch the analogy and mix my metaphors and talk about us as a piano kind of almost being played by the environment, which is the pianist. And often because of the environment and because of the way we engage with it, almost to keep things simpler, and as part of our habits, we do just play one, you know, like the top annoying, scratchy, irritating top part of the keyboard all the time. It's the, 
eating the same foods, watching the same stuff on Netflix. Even if we read, you know, we tend to read the same kind of books, maybe. Um, we do have our habits uh, and they're quite strong. And, and to some extent, then we get the right kind of surge from our dopamine, which is our neurotransmitter that helps us to create associations that then almost glues that together. Dopamine is our neurotransmitter in our brain that kind of enables us to glue um, a stimulus in the environment to our response. And then it makes us want to repeat that and to repeat it again. So the end result is you do end up playing one part of the keyboard. You know, it's simpler to eat this same food is easy. It's, I like it, it's stimulating. It maybe it raises my blood sugar in inappropriate ways, but it gives me a buzz. And um, yeah, our lifestyle activity, the same, and our, particularly our dependence on screens. And I, I often talk about our dependence on highlights. We're always looking for the highlights in life. And we're almost socialized that life is going to be this amazing thing where we're going to, you know, develop these amazing careers and, and be amazing people. We're expected to be Superman, Superwoman. And actually life's probably quite a lot more mundane than that. And, and so it should be. And there's a lot of beauty in those kind of low lights and those simple parts of life, which we'll talk about in a minute, I'm sure. Yeah. And that's, but, yeah. sorry, carry on. Sorry. Yeah. Just, uh, just finishing my train of thought, the current scenario, I think, as you say, in a way, it's still kind of narrow, but as you say, it's going to force people in a sense, if there's a positive, and, you know, and there is there is positives about it, of course, um, that we play the other part of the keyboard that, you know, I've been going out having read that book as well. And I'm suddenly incredibly interested in how trees are growing and having conversations about trees and nature and the wood that we walk in. Mm. Um, and we're getting to know it really, really well. In a way, that's nice. It's the same place that we're often going to because of the conditions we're in. I sometimes wonder people tend to be looking at the horizon and they don't necessarily totally analyze the detail and the beauty of their own lives and the people that are in it and the objects that are in it and the immediate environment where we, we tend not to want to be local creatures because it's a bit boring, but actually there's a lot to appreciate if you really mindfully just kind of have to absorb your local environment a bit and the people in it a little bit more. And um, so we are then playing different parts of our keyboard and then that's obviously going to stimulate different parts of our creativity, um, different parts of our brain. It's going to engage different parts of our brain and our biology. And hopefully, if eventually, when we come out of this, we can pull all that together as kind of broader, more connected individuals, we might have more um, kind of experiences, more neurosensory ways of behaving that I think will be really beneficial. Yeah. I, I totally agree. And um, it's finding the extraordinary in the ordinary, isn't it? Not trying to chase those extraordinary moments, but actually seeing it in what you have right now. And that's another thing that I'm learning from this. And actually, you know, when outside forces happen, when things beyond our control happen, I reach back to some of my previous experiences. You know, I've not been through this before, but I've been through challenging situations. And what I've learned from that is one of the 
things that kind of was a common um, pattern was not feeling comfortable just being, just being me, like I always had to be doing or achieving or pushing or pleasing. And actually when it came to just being, like when I had Bonnie, there was just me and Bonnie. There were long days when Dan was at work and although she was greatly entertaining, I had to spend time with me and I found that quite hard. So obviously my lesson from that was learn to love myself more. And that came back to how I eat and nourish myself and how I get to know myself more and all of this. And this is what I'm feeling at the moment. It's a huge opportunity to connect back to our bodies and what we need and what are the things that are going to make us feel healthy? Like what can we do right now within our homes? And as parents, I think the best thing we can do is just model that message. Like your interest with the trees, you're going to come back and talk about that and you're going to get your children interested and just by eating well you know your kids will be watching that and hopefully at some point follow suit so it's just that reconnection and I think the more I'm connected with myself this has been my personal experience the more I have gratitude the more I'm open to kind of see the beauty around us and like you said it's really observing the beauty and the detail I've been the same I haven't spoken to any trees yet but I can see it coming like I've been out there and I spent time and I've just sort of said Do you know what? I'm so grateful for nature we can't yeah. survive without nature but it can survive and probably thrive without us yeah. um i'll get yeah. off my hobby horse but yeah no, i couldn't agree with you more i think it's um it's like we stop listening and noticing don't we because we're kind of existing like i say with our eyes on the horizon on the internet on netflix on how we can get more how we can be more and we're supposed to self-actualize and have amazing careers and everything. And it's all quite stressful. And I think the more people can just, you know, accept where they are and what they are with all the imperfections in their lives, um, you know, the more it can, it can really help. It can just balance and, and stabilize you. I think one of the nice things about nature as well and being out here that I really like is, is the way it's just there. It's just like whatever's going on, it's kind of, just there it's so reassuring it's so grounding um, I used to love reading Thomas Hardy's poetry and he used to talk about the impermanence of nature and you know the uh, will will come and go and but you know, obviously nature changes you know plants come and go and the earth just recycles is all in the end for its greater purpose I think but um, it's basically one great big metabolic factory um, but you know um, nature is relatively stable and relatively, you know, kind of calm and solid and sound and just there. And yeah. when you notice that, I think it's a really big lesson and it's really important. I, I was listening to a Zach Bush podcast recently, I love, and he's like, you know, we can all bring nature into our lives, whether it's a few window pots and herbs or it's your garden. But he said, don't try and make it perfect. You know, nature is messy. It's colorful. It's mm -hmm. like a... A, a toddler let it go wild and you kind of made the point of think about when people go and grow a veg patch it's all uniform and in lines and like it's kind of competition to who's got the <laughs> the neatest one but that's you know don't worry about getting it right or uniform just go out there and plant something start a butterfly garden you know bring some greenery into your life and learn about it like with the book that you're reading mm. so, so can we talk about stress? <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> per 
personal management, as I now call it. I don't know why, but I've just fallen out with of love with the word. I never loved it. Stress. And I'm just thinking stress management sounds so boring. Like when I say to my clients, what are your goals? And they want to manage their stress. It's like, does that excite you? Like, this is what we're going to be working towards for how many months? Let's find something exciting. Um, But just from an evolutional perspective and a human nature, you know, this kind of paleolithic toolkit that we've been talking about, how have things changed there uh, in terms of stress and how sort of what how far reaching is it when it comes to our health? Yeah, we've got this basic toolkit. So in essence, you know, to, to draw it back for a minute and, we, and we'll go back to where we started, but to draw it back for a minute to kind of neurochemistry and biology, I think it's really interesting to just think about that, obviously given that we are totally pushed around by our environment and that's going to be the main thing that changes it. But we do have these basic hormones and neurotransmitters that are kind of designed to kind of partly shape our behavior in ways that are helpful to us as an animal in simpler times. So, for example, wakefulness to sleep, I always talk about as a really basic, fundamental, common to all kind of animals process. And it's governed by serotonin and melatonin, two neurotransmitters. And the nice nature point about that and where the environment comes in is that they're linked. They're basically the same chemical, effectively, but they're tra- it's transformed. The serotonin is transformed to melatonin by our um, eyes and our access to light. So it kind of makes total sense that as an animal, we respond to light and we respond to changes in light. So in normal circumstances, sun coming up, we get lots of serotonin, it makes us feel very active. We want to go out and engage with the world. Um, it makes us you know, happy, predisposes us to want to do stuff like in simpler times, forage, feed, maybe reproduce, um, engage in game playing, um, whatever. But then as night comes later on, certain kinds of light, moonlight and kind of more orange kinds of light, um, they kind of make us think about uh, going to sleep because they change the serotonin to melatonin. So there's a clear chemical process there. But what's interesting to bring us back away from the neurochemistry always want to do is it's governed by our relationship with our environment it's governed by our going out and getting some daylight and to some extent there's a really simple thing people can do which happily in a way the current circumstance is kind of making people do right now people who might otherwise be in an office for eight nine ten hours a day of going out and getting at least half an hour to an hour's worth of daylight through their eyes it gives the body the right signals yeah. at the right time that this is daytime the body doesn't get confused anymore and then with coupled with the exercise that kind of expends your energy in a positive way rather than a stressful wired you know worky kind of a way it also means that we're more likely to be loading up that melatonin in the evening but what we do need to do is be a bit careful about how we're in kind of white light environments or blue light environments which tricks our brain into thinking that we might um, still be in daylight so looking at screens watching Netflix for ages etc is going to counteract that mechanism so it's really important we don't do too much screen time watching and we limit that in the evening or we use those clever settings with LED light bulbs to change the tone of the light over time if you wealthy enough to have those nice little Philips Hue lights or whatever that 
can change their their light. Um, so there's that basic mechanism that I think is is interesting. And it if we don't kind of do that, if we're not active and sleeping in that circadian rhythm, that's a huge disruption to our our natural rhythm, our natural functioning, and that's going to make you feel more stressed, less rested, and strain the system. Yeah. And I love that you talked about, you know, how um, serotonin is converting to melatonin because a lot of people that struggle with sleep, you know, actually looking at what you do in the day rather than being hyper-focused, you get to that point and you can't sleep and you're quite tired and wired. It's actually getting out early. And it made me chuckle a bit when um, <laughs> the government instruction was to do one form of exercise, but no more a day. I was thinking that's more than what I do now. So actually... Yeah, yeah people are gonna be going out more and hopefully that will be supportive of their sleep. I also invested in, I haven't got them now, those um, blue light blocking glasses, but they're like office glasses, so you look kind of cool and intelligent at the same time. It's not like you're in a cinema watching a funny film. So there's, there's all sorts of things and you know, there's little hacks that we can do right just to help to reconnect with that sleep-wake or wake-sleep cycle. Yeah, so critically for me, it's get, get as people are doing happily right now, get out for half an hour to an hour a day in daylight, you know, let that daylight flood into your eyes. It's the signal your brain needs. It's really going to help your body reconnect with what it's supposed to be doing and play a different part of the keyboard that's normally not being played when you sat in an office all day. Yeah. You want me to um, go on further, Annie, in terms of stress response there? Is that, go for it. Yeah, so then, then of course... It's not just about being awake, going out and doing stuff and going to sleep. Life's a little bit more complicated than that. So we have a couple of other kind of chemicals in our brains or our hormone system that then kind of push and pull us around and um, are engaged by what's happening. So they kind of make sure that we engage and adapt to what's going on in our day appropriately with our levels of activity. So we have something called dopamine that I talked about earlier, and that's another one that's kind of like a get up and go kind of neurotransmitter and when we're stressed it spikes and when we're addicted to things it spikes as well so if we are tending to go for the easy thrills in our day and you know that's what we do we don't want the boring walks and the looking at trees and the that kind of stuff and the spending time cooking food when we could just you know make a pot noodle or whatever that's not that's not going to work for us um, so when we're doing that, what we're doing is engaging dopamine all the time going, yeah, that was quick. That was easy. That was full of monosodium glutamate and tasted great or whatever, or at least satisfied um, a salt craving, even if it didn't taste great. Um, and so that's going through the day as well. And we can get very high dopamine in the modern environment. It's really supposed to just be there to help us see something new and different and interesting and kind of learn that association so that we remember it. It's a evolutionary survival learning neurotransmitter, a memory neurotransmitter. Mm -hmm. um, it's not, you know, in the modern world with, you know, especially gaming, which is my big sort of pet hate with my son, who's a teenager. Um, you know, you've got that thing that, you know, it can turn into gambling later on as well. I think it's the same kind of mechanism you get that kind of addictive behavior. So that's a stress, an extra stress is we're doing things, well, the environment is offering us things and maybe we're engaging with that, especially if maybe we're a certain kind of person with certain genetics perhaps. And that's making us, you know, create much more dopamine, which makes us very dopamine dependent. 
sort of thrill-seeking going for this. And, and that's really then heightening our stress and making it very difficult for us to be calm and to look for those kind of spaces in life and appreciate those spaces and those in-between moments that we need just to de-stress and just to get the right balance. Yeah. And then the other one, which is perhaps a bit better known about, and I'm sure um, people listening will, will know about it, is cortisol um, and, adren and adrenaline kind of going together. And there are kind of proper stress hormones, if you like. And their reason for being is if something happens, if we need to kind of get more energy to do something, so we're running for a bus or we're completing an assignment or, or whatever, and this, we need this mechanism from an evolutionary point of view to override our current level of activity. And we need it to happen whether or not we've eaten a meal, whether or not we've had that pot noodle. We need there to be um, some blood glucose available to us. We need to increase our circulation and our heart rate and make certain changes. So we have these um, hormones, um, adrenaline and cortisol, that come in to basically put us into that, what's called sympathetic response, that higher stress state. And this is normal and we need to do it a bit. We don't wanna be sitting, nice though it sounds, to be sitting under a tree all day, kind of reading a book and falling asleep. We do need a bit of sympathetic engagement. We do need a little bit of a, you know, kick up the bum to kind of, um, do things differently it's part of our adaptive response but again the problem is with modern lifestyles and especially with us being so stuck in our own heads yeah um a lot of the time kind of thinking about imagining stuff and thinking about stuff about you know how our life isn't what we expect it to be or whatever often how we don't feel connected with our life in the way that we think we're supposed to because we can't see the wood for the trees kind of thing as we said earlier um, that, that we engage that adrenaline and cortisol far, far too much. We don't have to be in a stressful situation. Mm. We just have to be feeling that things aren't right. And that threat response um, triggers those chemicals in the brain um, and those hormones um, to, to occur. So we get, again, certain keys of the piano being banged down again and again. Cortisol, adrenaline, dopamine. And it pushes our natural these should be responses that we make very naturally very kind of um in a rhythm through the day according to how life's supposed to be in simpler times but what we find is we have these lumps of distorted kind of responses uh, that we make and we could look at changing the neurochemistry of course we could have drugs from the gp or maybe 5-htp to support our serotonin or people will buy melatonin on the internet or be prescribed it. And that's can help a bit. Of course, I'm not saying it wouldn't, but for me, probably like where you're coming from, mm. the key thing is what's playing the piano here. That's the thing that's making the big difference. The piano doesn't play itself. The piano is just responding with noise to what's happening to it. So if we can change our environment and our lifestyle to just rebalance some of these things a little bit, to reconnect in these small, simple ways, then guess what? Our serotonin, our melatonin, our dopamine levels, hopefully all just bed into a more normal level, less noisy. We're just engaging them when we really need to in appropriate ways from time to time. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I just think that we're very good at, 
being stressed it's almost become part of our identity like our human nature and mother nature on the other hand is very good at just being and growing and accepting itself and this is maybe where the gap has happened and if we're going to reconnect with um nature if you like i think we really need to look at stress but as i said before it can be a little bit boring it's all encompassing i sometimes ask people describe how you're feeling but don't use the word stress depressed or anxious like you know <laughs> let's like dig a little bit deeper here because it means different things for different people and i i see exactly how you described we we turn it on, we turn the stress on, we don't have the resolution. We're not getting eaten by that tiger. We're not fleeing that tiger. We're just carrying the tiger around on a lead. Like we're stressed constantly. Yeah. And just you have the whole emotional stress and how we feel about ourselves and our lives. I think that's probably the biggest stress. I know there's a lot of physiological and you know stress in the body with some people as well, but it's the emotional um, stress, isn't it? And, and I see that when you're stressed, your motivation levels it affects your dopamine it just affects your ability to learn and to focus and I love what you said um, when we were at the seminar about dopamine being more about chasing the chase it's not actually about the thing is it like you have that yeah. thing and that thing doesn't make you feel real good like eating a packet of donuts that's not good but the chase that's what the dopamine thing is all about that's right exactly it's it's there to say to you you know you, you need more of that thing and what you're really doing is saying, be quiet, dopamine. Yeah. You know, I want, okay, you know, I'm going to satisfy your urge. Well, actually you get, you get, you get your dopamine levels up, but it kind of almost, so it's not be quiet dopamine because you raise your dopamine, but what it does is almost go, right, I've done that. That's, I've raised my dopamine. So I feel okay. So I've achieved that. But actually the actual sensation of eating that thing sometimes, that thing that you craved or doing that activity you did, you kind of sometimes probably end up then feeling quite disappointed. And, mm. you know, it was, it was that it was about satisfying your dopamine um, craving rather than your donut craving, basically at the end of the day. Um, and that's the difference. <clears throat> I love what you said earlier, by the way, um, and I've never quite thought of it like this, even though I am talking about it, but the way you talk about juxtaposing human nature with mother nature, mm -hmm. the link of nature between those two phrases. And that really is if we can join those two things together, be more aligned with our kind of environment in a more appropriate way. That's where you get that synergy between those two sides of nature. And, you know, I'll share with you what I think the missing links are and you can tell me, um, you know, from your perspective and maybe some of the things we can start to do to rebalance and reconnect. But I spent way too long on Canva trying to design a slide to articulate this. But we have this person of who we are and we have this person of where we want to be. And in the middle right now, just thinking about the current situation and climate, it is very much for me about reconnecting with, with nature so we can improve our health. And I think the missing link is nature itself so mother nature just getting out appreciating everything that we've spoken about mm. connection like you were saying at the beginning we've lost that tribal kind of um you know we're, we're not as connected in fact we're quite disconnected and mm. i think 
the increase in technology and social media has played a part in that. I don't have as meaningful conversations in group chats and online as I do maybe on the phone one-to-one or face-to-face, of course. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's reconnecting with people. Yeah. It's um, reconnecting with nature. And then, of course, which is probably another co- a conversation for another time, the microbiome, because yeah. I feel like that connects us the microbiome i think we have like 300 million or the potential the genetic potential in the soil the microbiome is like 300 million or something it's crazy this is in the zach bush podcast that i listened to and we just have so much potential to manage kind of infections and viruses i'm not saying it's the only thing but how we look after our gut health our immune system that galaxy of bugs that live within us that we've never existed without and connect with nature and connect with each other and connect with ourselves that's what i see as being kind of the missing link yeah just briefly on that annie i know you don't want us to talk about that now or rather we haven't got time but yeah absolutely i mean to come to the tree analogy um you, i i often use the analogy that we're rooted microbiologically as well we do exist in a soil we have our own soil yeah. uh, we can move around we're not stuck in a plant pot of course but you know just like those trees we talked about earlier the fungi the kind of bacteria the other organisms like the worms in the soil breaking stuff down for the tree you know the the lice the the all the different um things breaking down the the dead bits of tree in the forest they're all creating that organic material again mother nature's recycling machine it's great metabolic recycling machine recycling elements and nutrients um and absolutely as well as the trees being dependent on each other the root systems like we're dependent on each other we're also embedded in the soil. The soil for us is our gut, it's our microbiome, it's our, the bacteria that live within us that we've basically evolved alongside, just like the trees evolved alongside those fungi in the soil for years. And there's a bit of competition there, interestingly, but also there's a symbiosis and there's a tolerance and there's a, hey, we're all in it together. We don't want these bugs and viruses to attack you either. So we're gonna support your immune system because it's in all of our interests that we all do this together and we're absolutely codependent on those uh, bugs in our gut to be healthy for sure. Yeah, I love that. And and that's why we really need to look after our soil, like go out there, plant something, you know, mm. look after the soil. If, if we fix the food system, like I do think we'll, we'll fix the healthcare system and it really all comes from, from the soil, 100%. Yeah. Have you read the, um, oh, it's an old article, I think it's called The World Wood Web, about the mycelia of the mushrooms that go underground, like the you know, World Wood Web. It's incredible. And just learning about that, you just understand like the power of nature and how much we, we can't necessarily see what's going on underneath us. It yeah. really, the intelligence there is incredible. Yeah, we don't the, understand it fully, do we? We don't um, understand those um, just beginning to understand some of those um, relationships and like the, for me, one recent example as well that links to what you're saying is the destruction of the kind of um, the, the plants in the ocean and how dependent we've now discovered we actually were on them for um, carbon capture. Mm-hmm. And so one of the big things is like reforesting the oceans is a big thing. And, you know, we, it was one of those things where people probably didn't understand to what extent we were dependent on mm-hmm. these things, you know, as a, whole biological ecosystem there's so much we don't know yeah 
Absolutely. So what would be your top kind of things, maybe some things that you're doing or you've researched to um, reconnect that relationship, rebuild that relationship? And I know we've touched on quite a lot, but I love what you were talking about, the sleep-wake cycle. Wake, yeah. You know what I'm trying to say. And just getting outside and getting some sunlight, some simple things that we can be doing. Yeah, sure. I mean, one thing just coming back a little bit to the neurochemistry and to your point about human connectedness is I think one one um, hormone I didn't mention is oxytocin. And I think we are a little bit oxytocin deprived as a as a society. We've got oxytocin is our kind of love hormone, our connecting hormone. And, and it's there for a reason because you know, nature knows that we have to do this together. It knows we have to be community. We have to exist in society. We have to have partnerships. We have to have family groups, even if not in family groups, or we have to be neighborly, um, et cetera. And oxytocin is the hormone that makes us predisposed to be like that, to kind of love each other, to exist in pairs, to exist in families or communities. And we are a bit oxytocin deficient. So there's a great example that you might remember I used in the seminar, a piece of research, I think from America, where they looked at teenage girls who recounted some incident, some stressful incident to their mums. And they looked at whether they did that over their mobiles on text, um, uh, you know, as people tend to do, kind of WhatsApp generation. And then they compared it with having a conversation. I don't know, to be honest, whether it was over the phone. I think it was over the phone. And even so, the difference was, was interesting. The, the girls who just did it over text had really high cortisol and stress levels. So the stressfulness of the situation, the way in which they talked about it, didn't really reduce their cortisol levels very much. Um, whereas the group that talked to their mums which you kind of expect, um, had a much um, greater reduction in cortisol and an increase in oxytocin, which just helps to balance cortisol. So the point here is that we are like, our brains are like chemical cocktails, again, responding to what's going on in our environment. So if we can try to proactively do a few things differently mm. and talk to each other and use our voices is the thing here. Yeah. Um, then it engages different circuitry and it engages different chemicals. And if we can increase oxytocin, even if we're high on cortisol or adrenaline or maybe testosterone or dopamine, it tends to flatten it out. Mm. So it's it, literally like a drink cocktail that you'd have in a bar, you know, where maybe you have too much of one liquid than another and it doesn't taste right. If we can make sure we get the balance of, uh, of it right, then it'll, it'll kind of balance all the flavors. It'll balance all the, the stress. So my other tip is to um, find ways to, to make sure that you talk to people. So even where we're in the situation we're in now, you know, doing what we're doing using Zoom, uh, rather than text would be helpful. The Netflix parties that I know people are having. It's interesting how, you know, people do want that, that kind of maybe office or garden fence or corner shop chat about what people are watching wow. has now had to move online and people are finding ways to do that because it's our human nature to. We don't want to just watch TV. If we do watch TV, we want to talk about it. And that's the important thing that makes watching TV okay, in my opinion, because I do like to watch a bit of TV, I have to admit. Me too. But if you don't talk about it and stuff, doesn't that make it so much better? Yeah. Doesn't the discussion about how it made you feel and what you liked about it and listening to someone else explaining about it, isn't that the thing that really makes it the thing? 
It's the social glue afterwards. And it's the oxytocin buzz of doing that and connecting with people, just like discussing a book maybe to give a perhaps a, a kind of better example or um, playing a game. So do things with people and ideally do things with people, you know, play games, competitive, cooperative. It's an obvious point. I'm sure everyone's got, got their old board games out and blown the dust off them and, um, you know, have conversations about things, have Netflix parties if that's the only way to do it, you know, use FaceTime, use Zoom. It's important, important that we hear the human voice. It's important that we hear the human voice of the people that we connect with the most as well. That's going to make the biggest difference to how we feel. Yeah. And then um, I think my other thing, which we alluded to earlier, is um, kind of try to get a balance and variety of activities, even in these strange times and when they're over. So, you know, try to, to do something different. Try to, even if it's in a small, simple way, actually people have got the best opportunity now if they're not used to walking in nature to do exactly that. Another example might be, hey, you know what? I don't really read fiction. I only tend to read books about work or nutrition or trees or whatever. Well, actually, you know what? Actually, let's try and read something that's going to fire my imagination and use a different part of my brain. I'm actually useless at this. I, I have to make myself read fiction. Um, I always want to read stuff about, you know, nutrition or philosophy or anthropology or linguistics or trees, like that. but <laughs> economics, politics, love it. Oh, don't want to read a fiction book. Um, and yeah, if I get really into a fiction book, if I can find one that really engages me, if I make myself do that, it's a whole other layer of experience of engagement and different parts of my brain being engaged. It's really, it really opens your mind. Reading fiction, I think, is something people should try and do if they're not used to it. Or listen to fiction. Use an audio book if that's the easiest way for you to do it. If, you know, you're one of those people like me where you read a page and then you go, oh, what was that? What was that page again? You have to go back and read it a second time. Um, so that's an, a, a useful thing, I think, as well. Appreciating the in-between as well, I call it. You talked about this earlier, Annie, as well. It's, yeah, there's highlights in life. There's, there's, there's not a lot at the moment. We're a bit highlight deprived. We can't go to the cinema. We can't do any of those things. So it's a great opportunity to kind of go, what I sometimes do on a Sunday afternoon, which I really enjoy is, especially if everyone kind of leaves me in peace to do it, which is important, is to cook, is to just go, I'm actually just going to appreciate that for the next half an hour or an hour, I'm going to make this meal and I'm going to make it for everyone. And if I put myself in that situation and I've got some nice music on um, and I'm feeling confident about what I'm doing, um, that activity ceases to be a chore and becomes a nice, mindful, pleasurable activity. Um, and you're appreciating just a very mundane thing in life that, you know, you have to prepare meals. Um, but that's part of your daily routine and that's great. And there's a joy in that. And there's a, um, you know, if you connect with that and you reappraise it, reframe it and see this is what happens in on a Sunday or every day. At 12 o'clock we stop and we spend half an hour cooking lunch. That's what we do. That's what happens in our day. And suddenly it becomes something you look forward to, you appreciate, your brain expects it, your soul expects it. And suddenly it just makes you feel like you are sat in the right place, you know, in the right bed, in the right situation, rooted in the right piece of soil. The more grounded we feel, the better we feel. If we feel not grounded, 
that's the thing that's going to stress us the most. Yeah. Wow. Mic drop. <laughs> My whole body is smiling. Like I'm smiling as you say that because it's so true. And isn't it funny? We talk about feeling grounded. How close are we to nature and soil when we are grounded? Like we don't need to be standing in a cabbage patch, but absolutely a hundred percent. And you say about talking to each other and oxytocin self-expression. How often do we not express how we truly feel? We suppress and that shows up in the body and in our um, biochemistry variety like Tony Robbins talks about the six basic human needs and if you are someone that needs certainty the best thing you can do is exercise your variety play mm. those piano um, yeah. keys at the other end and yeah. what you were saying about appreciating the in-between I was just thinking about this quote that music is the space between the notes which I just think is lovely because it is the bit in between that's where the magic happens it's not the glory moments it's that ordinary that is the extraordinary and yeah. immersing yourself in something new when you're cooking a new meal that you've not done before you're immersed in it when you're creating something you haven't got room for the mind chatter thinking what you should be doing next week or what have you because you're fully immersed in that creativity so that just completely sung to me and yes I love that language what makes your soul sing or lights your soul on fire like mm. it speaks to your soul I think that that's what you said and that is beautiful let's get out of our heads and back in our hearts and reconnect with mother nature yeah. boom <laughs> is there anything else that you wanted to say well, just on that, it's like, yeah, great point. I think you explained it really well, Annie. Um, it's it's like real world, real world mindfulness, isn't it? We could do use the Headspace app. We could do that, but and it might work for some people. I'm not saying it. I think I think there's something to be said for, you know, I prefer like the Yoga Nidra. I don't know why it just seems to work for me better, and, and a little app I use for that. But it's like, how can you just get out of that inner kind of turmoil that's not necessary in your real everyday life? What's the thing? We just, we we like watching Stranger Things on Netflix. So a little family example for us is I bought a big Lego kit that's going to take us about two weeks to build. I bet you can't wait to do that. <laughs> so the family and I are kind of busy doing like one bag per day. And we're kind of gradually building this intricate kind of Lego kit based around the Stranger Things program that we're really excited about. So it's that kind of thing. It's Lego, it's knitting, it's jigsaw puzzles, it's crossword puzzles, it's cooking, it's gardening. It's having a project, like you say, where you, you're meaningfully engaged and you have to be so in it to, to do it properly. Um, but it's not really that complicated. It's kind of simple, but engaging and all-encompassing. And it takes you out of yourself. So the more we can find real world ways to be mindful to, to get that kind of experience. I think the better. Yeah. I love that. Thank you so much. I could talk about this stuff all day and probably will to myself. <laughs> Thank you so much, Chris. I really appreciate your time and your energy and your passion and expertise. It's been awesome. Yeah, it's um, great. Thank you. Take care. Have a good rest of your day. Yeah, you too. Cheers. Thanks, Annie. Take care. Oh, that was brilliant. Thank you so much, Chris. That was great. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in and listening. If you enjoyed the show, please let me know. I'm always grateful for your feedback and reviews. On the 18th of May, I'm going to be launching my Healthy Tum Happy Mum program. 
This is an online programme focused on restoring your gut health for mums. It's a video-led, step-by-step self-study course, so you can do it at your leisure. I have made it very easy to follow, um, broken it all down, and it's incredibly visual and family-friendly as well. There are lots of resources attached to it that are going to help you on your journey, like recipes and um, handouts and exercises. Um, but it's been designed very much to kind of reduce any overwhelm and really break down the stages that we need to go through in order to restore our gut health. So that we can feel balanced within ourselves, within our weight, within our emotions, within our energy. Everything kind of stems from um, how well our gut is functioning. And then of course the mindset, the gut-brain connection. I talk a lot about how we can restore our gut health, but also how we can really um, nurture our, our mind and change our perception towards our health goals. So that will be available on Monday the 18th. I am super excited about it. There has been a lot of creativity and effort go into that one. Um, if you are interested, please get in contact with me through the website, but it will be up to sign up to on the 18th. I hope you all have a good week. I will be back next week with another episode of the Be Mum podcast. Take care, everyone.